Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. When should a mother be able to start collecting child support? One state lawmaker believes it should start long before the baby's even born. Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher is here to take a closer look at the legislation. Then, Yuma lawmaker Tim Dunn takes a seat at the table to talk about the session and to offer his insights on the water issues facing local farmers like himself. Plus, we'll get to know one of the newest members of our delegation at the Capitol. Michael Carbone tells us about his first few months as a member of the House. But first, let's check in with Howard. Under current law, a mother can't ask for child support until after divorce or support order paperwork has been filed with the courts. HB 2502 seeks to change that by pushing up the eligibility date almost as far as you can go. We sat down with Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher for a closer look at the legislation. And Howard, there were a couple of bills I wanted to talk to you about this week. One of them was introduced by uh, Phoenix Republican Matt Grass, and it would actually make child support retroactive until very close to the moment of conception. Exactly. And what's going on here is on the surface level, he says, look, if you owe child support and you go in and finally the judge sets uh, a level of support, and sometimes it's retroactive to the point of birth, he wants to take it back, as you point out, to the point at which somebody had a confirmed diagnosis of pregnancy. His argument is that a woman's additional expenses did not begin the moment the child was born. Obviously, you have a lot of prenatal expenses, buying things, whether it's cribs or something else. But the underlying question here for a lot of folks has become, is this some sort of backdoor way to outlaw abortion in Arizona? As you know, you know Arizona had outlawed abortion up until 73, Roe versus Wade came along, said women are entitled to terminate a pregnancy. Then last year, the U.S. Supreme Court said states are allowed to have their own rules, but then our own Court of Appeals said the 15-week law takes effect. I know it's very complex, but you still have a lot of folks who want to go back to the point where women did not have that option. Democrats did rail against that. There has been much outcry that this is just a thinly veiled attempt to once again restrict abortion rights. Let's listen to what one representative had to say. This bill has harmful consequences when we start talking about prescribing rights into law that determine that a fetus is uh, entitled to more rights than a pregnant person. We are setting the stage for an outright ban on abortion. This is a strategy that has been used from anti-abortion advocates. I don't doubt that Matt Gress perhaps has some issues where he says this is important from a personal level. He said he was raised by a single mom and and the money that came in from child support, and then there was a separate bill you know, dealing with the child tax credit, uh, was important. He actually made a pretty impassioned plea on that basis to his colleagues. Let's take a quick listen. For us, this child support meant having electricity, uh, having groceries, uh, being able to afford clothes to go to school, gas for my mother to get to work. 
Um, and at the end of the day, what this bill is about is helping families. He's made it clear this is personal for him. It's certainly personal for him, but it's hard for a lot of folks who have fought for the years for the right of women to determine what they want to do about pregnancies to believe that this doesn't become a backdoor method because this has been tried in other states. We've even had laws in this state and efforts in this state to somehow define personhood as beginning from the moment of conception, the moment that, you know, that, that egg is fertilized. Well, you've got a, a human being there. And I'm not going to get into the philosophical or religious connotations of that, but the question still becomes, does that then become an excuse for some judge to say, well, Arizona law says that, uh, that you're entitled to a tax credit uh, from the moment of conception or you're entitled to child support from the moment of conception. Therefore, the legislature has determined that this is a person. Therefore, uh, abortion becomes illegal. And, this and is, that's this is something that Gress has done. This is not his first piece of legislation that has sought to um, expand pre-birth rights for fetuses. Exactly. I mean, he has a, a second bill, which actually got heard by a committee that said, you take Arizona's child tax credit, which is available for, for families making uh, up to middle income, and you allow somebody who is pregnant to claim the tax credit for that year. And then there's a third bill, which is a little different, which says that if you assault a pregnant woman as part of domestic violence, that there's an additional penalty because you're assaulting not only her, but the fetus. Again, um, there are certainly legitimate reasons to consider all of those uh, on the merits, but there's a lot of fear that somehow you're setting a precedent here that a lot of folks don't want to set, that they really say, look, uh, women have this right uh, and they, they should keep this right. Now, a, a lot of this may go away if somebody gets a measure on the 2024 ballot to guarantee the right to terminate a pregnancy and gets it put into the Arizona Constitution. I was going to say that is, that's far from certainty. Yes, it's a hard fight when you have an ad, you have two firmly pro-choice people in the form of the governor and the attorney general, and the attorney attorney general has come out and said flat out she is not going to argue in any of these pro-life cases that were brought by her predecessor. Yes. And, and the view of Chris Mays is goes to the question of how Roe first got uh, how Roe first got decided in 1973. The U.S. Supreme Court said that while there is no explicit right of privacy in the U.S. Constitution, that there is what they call a penumbra, an essence of a right of privacy, which obviously the U.S. Supreme Court last year, the different justices overturned. Arizona has a specific right of privacy in its constitution. Now, you give me three attorneys, I'll give you seven opinions about what that right of privacy means. But, but what Chris Mays is arguing is that right of privacy does extend to the right of a woman to decide what to do ab about her pregnancy, particularly prior to the point of fetal viability, when a fetus can live outside the womb, which is generally considered between 22 and 24 weeks of pregnancy. And Obviously, that has yet to be litigated in, in any form. Right now, we're still fighting over whether the, uh, the pre-Roe law comes back in. The Arizona Supreme Court is going to have some sort of decision this spring on whether the 15-week law that took effect last year or the older law uh, takes precedence. You can look for Howard's daily coverage of the Arizona State Capitol at kawc.org.
Tim Dunn has served Yuma County in the state legislature for the past five years. And not only does Dunn work for the people who call the land home, his people work the land he calls home. We'll sit down to talk about both when the field continues. I'm Lisa Sturgis. We'll be right back. Funding for the field comes from listeners just like you who support KAWC News. It's individual and community support that makes civil conversations, local analysis, and trusted news on this podcast possible. That's why we're counting on your charitable gift right now. It takes all of us to ensure the things we care about continue to thrive. So please take just a moment to donate to KAWC so we have the solid resources needed to keep this podcast going. Visit kawc.org donate to give today. And thanks. Thanks for staying with The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Three months into Arizona's 56th legislature, Representative Tim Dunn is a busy man. He's the chair of the House Land and Agriculture Committee and vice chair of the Natural Resources, Energy and Water Committee. But Dunn is also a lifelong farmer. We discussed how that plays into his understanding of water issues, about his priorities this session, and about adjusting to a new Democratic administration. Thanks so much for your time today, Representative. Good. Glad to be here. Hey, so why don't you tell me what's what's going on up there? What's I know that I really want to talk to you about water because I know water is very top of mind for you um, as a longtime Yuma farmer. Obviously, everybody's worried about the Colorado River. Uh, the, Senate, the Salt River Project is, is in good shape. It's, it's nearing capacity. Uh, legislatively, uh, we're... We did the WIPA, the Water Infrastructure Finance Authority, last year, where we put a $1.4 billion into augmentation and looking for new water. Uh, there's a uh, a bill that's supplemental to that this year that we're having to uh, fine-tune some of the details to get some, some things that weren't quite worded right. In that bill, there's $200 million for conservation dollars uh, that to be deployed to cities and towns and governmental agencies around the state, uh, up to $3 million in programs. In 200,000 is a project. So if a city wants to take out pools or take out grass or do some kind of conversion to um, less use of water, then that, that's an, a grand process that's available. And we also have 200 million for water supply development funds where NRCDs and organiza- uh, government organizations can try to recharge groundwater. Uh, so we have our county and stuff looking at those kind of things to try to uh, step up the aquifer. These things are, so that's legislative we're working on this week. I have another bill that we did thirty million last year for. We did thirty million dollars last year for uh, converting from flood to drip. Uh, that's being deployed right now through the Cooperative Extension Service of, of uh, Arizona. Uh, farmers, if they're using flood, they can uh, apply for grants up to fifteen hundred dollars an acre to try to do um, more efficient. Yuma is very efficient. Our and our processes were the best in the in the in the almost the world with uh, being able to grow two crops a year with with our allotment, but we, we can do a little better job of working on those kind of things. And I'm looking at trying to add another 30 million to that program. So um, that, that, those are some of the hot topics we're working on. You know, representative, I was going to say, because Yuma has always has been a leader in conservation, particularly in ag con- conservation. And I'm wondering if you think 
the rest of the state has been as water-wise as Yuma County has been? There's there's spots there's growers that are that have been using drip for a long time. There's growers that have been using sprinklers for a long time. You know, we've been working on our conservation practices to be able to be more efficient in the produce growing, being able to market the produce very efficiently. We want the water to be across the other one end of the other very fast so that the heads of lettuce are all consistently in size and, and, and the end uptake of water. So we've been doing it to make sure that we have the best crop to feed the world, get the most crop per drop. And we and we've done that uh, very efficiently. Not you know, not necessarily just to save water, but because of what the water savings do to the management of our produce crops. So it's a win win situation. So now we're having to help educate the rest of the state and other folks um, on on when you have an aquifer, whether it's the Colorado River or other aquifers that are uh, depleting in their in their you know they're going down because of the drought, trying to get more more bang for your buck with the with the water because of the limiting of water, not because necessarily the cost or savings, you know, whether what is costing other growers. And that's what that flood to drip conversion process is for us to help change the mindsets. Uh, because it, the water is an input cost to growers and it doesn't matter where you're at in the state, you don't want to spend extra money if you don't have to, whether you're paying for pumping groundwater or buying water from the CAP or getting it diverted, you don't want to put any additional water on that you don't need to. But this, this, this one program is helping to help change their mindsets and, and encourage uh, growers to be able to look at it from a different angle. You know, and, and leafy greens get a lot of attention here in, in Yuma, as they, you know, as they well would. However, I, you know, I'm not convinced that everyone realizes that it's a deeper level than that because we also grow a lot of feed crops here. So we have to keep water flowing to those feed crops. And I think you know something about, you know, the grains and stuff. Yes. So, you know, we have a, a this, the, the agricultural system that we have is very complementary. The crops that we do to grow with that are very complementary one another. So the, the grain industry in Yuma has developed with our varieties that we have that are, they're very high in demand um, because they're, a premium for them and they work well by planting after the produce crops so you can have a good rotation that allows the soil to be dry you know dry out in the summertime so those things we've worked um, uh, over the last 20 years uh, 20 30 years doing uh, but we also have seed crops like broccoli seed onion seed that you know, that are a big percentage of the world supply of broccoli seed uh, and that's because of our climate the ability to grow that very efficiently uh, without without major storms. And so, yeah, we have a we have a cultural system here that just complements each other, and we we uh, work very hard to control that. But that's you're not only working on water issues this session. What else is on your what's what else is top of mind for you uh, as we enter? What is it? We're in the third month of the of the session. Well, I think it's important that we uh, you know we, we look at what you know governing the state. We need to, we do have some um, working on our budget, trying to put out a, a fiscally responsible budget. Uh, trying to uh, the excess um, one-time money that we have above what last year's budget was, like 1.7 billion dollars. We're trying to put additional 700 million, maybe six to 700 million in roads around the state. Uh, trying to bring 39 million back to Yuma for Highway 95 is one of the bills that we've been working with. Uh, just I think that's a good fiscal use of our money. Uh, we're working on uh, just governance bills. Uh, we're doing some stuff with. Um, uh, dementia awareness program that I've been working with, doing some stuff for the behavioral health 
uh, trying to redesign some stuff for the Department of Health Services. So a few things uh, kind of all over the board that we're, we've been working on. Um, and, and, we're, and we're still having to figure out how to uh, work with the divided government, with the new governor, uh, Democratic governor, with the Republican-controlled House and Senate. So we're still doing that dance, trying to have different different perspectives and priorities. But at the end of the day, 80% of the 80 to 85 percent of what we do is bipartisan in nature, and and it's governing the state and leading in in that direction. So that's you know that's what we're doing. I was going to ask you because from the outside in, it looks kind of it looks a little bit contentious. I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you got to get stuff done, right? Well, yeah, you know, and so we're, we're having that courtship where we're getting a lot of bills vetoed, even if they were bipartisan nature. So we're trying to have those conversations. It's kind of we, the Republicans, sent up a budget, which was last year's continuation budget, uh, which was fifteen point eight billion dollars. And so there's some things that the governor wants that that she doesn't want to spending in there. So yeah, we're having that. Having to, it, 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 I mean, it's if it looks bad on the outside, it's worse inside here. So. Um, <laughs> It's very contentious, um, and so we're still, and we're still having to work with our Republicans themselves within the party. We have some some people, some of our colleagues have some specific ideas that they wanted to get done that they know the governor's not going to sign. So we're, you know, we're having to work and learn through the system. When you have this many professional legislators come in, it's 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 hard to understand how the flow of things are, how you get your bills passed, how you get them heard, and so we have a lot of that learning curve with the, such a large percentage of uh, freshman colleagues on both sides of the aisle. You know, I've just always said that here in Yuma, we just tend to be practical. So, you know, I'm confident that you'll figure out how to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're working it out. There's been water is still in trying to, but the problem is, you know, the legislative, there's not a lot of things we can do for water and nor do from a Yuma perspective, do we want the legislature doing for water? Cause we have a, we're, you know, a nation of laws and we have water contracts and we have things that govern the flow of water on the river. And so, you know, there's things that we're making sure, from my perspective, making sure that the legislature doesn't overreach and overstep its bounds and its authority that it that it might feel that it has. And so we're very much having those conversations, educating our folks. We brought a lot of legislators down in January to tour produce. Both was a bipartisan group to tour the fields so they understand it. We have a, a community up here. It's a Rio Verde. Was kind of a wildcat subdivision outside Scottsdale. Scottsdale's been delivering them water through a standpipe for since 1999. And they were hauling in water with trucks, very kind of fancy neighborhood, you know, bigger lots. But they just cut them off in January saying because they were getting shorted by the Central Arizona Project reduction. So they cut them off. So that neighborhood is very upset and they're having to get your water expensive from a different spot. But this kind of tells you what happens if you don't follow the rules. We could talk water all day long, but I think we'll just end it there. Representative Tim Dunn, thank you so much. Anytime. This is The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Representative Michael Carbone spent the first part of his life in the Chicago suburbs, but he and his family wanted a change and Arizona held promise for them. Years later, it's a move he doesn't regret. Carbone serving his first term in the State House of Representatives and awaiting the birth of his first grandchild. We talked about how good Arizona has been for his family and about the good he hopes to accomplish at the Capitol. You're a freshman, so some of our listeners probably haven't heard a lot from you. They might have seen you on the campaign trail. We were chatting. I am originally from Chicago. You are, too, originally from Chicago. What brought you to Arizona? 
Why? Because really, because of my 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 children, um, I have four 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 kids. Uh, my youngest is thirty. My oldest is twenty eight, and uh, he just turned twenty eight uh, last month. And, uh, and and by the way, I'm going to be a grandpa today because they're having their baby. So right uh, on, congratulations, congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. My first grand, I'm going to be a, my first grandchild, and it's weird saying that, but it's, I'm so uh, humbled by it, and it's awesome. So, but no, uh, the reason why is, is really uh, I'm a business guy by by you know by, by trade, and Illinois is not was not a great environment. I didn't think it was a great environment. My kids, my wife and I, we had the same discussion, so we're on this, obviously on the same page. So we just started looking, and, and the really reason why we, we chose Arizona is because of the quality of life, the the low taxes, great work, you know, opportunity to, to make a, a good living, uh, you know, uh, and um, and then it just for me personally, outside of all of that, for my kids, so they knew if we knew if they if we stayed there. They're going to move out of state to get a job. There's no good jobs left in that. Everyone, everyone's leaving, and and we're going back almost nine years now, right? So, uh, and, and folks that follow the news nationally, locally, whatever, you can hear what happens in Illinois. It's, it's terrible. Chicago, it's terrible. But uh, so those are really the key reasons. And I'll tell you, I love this state. I really, really, so happy. Uh, God willing, that we, we came here. Um, it has done such a wonder for my, myself, my wife, my children. Um, and, and the story is I have a, two daughters that just graduated ASU. One just left for Colorado State to be a veterinarian um, in medicine, and she wants to focus on large mammals. And, and uh, my other daughter just graduated at the same time, um, and now is a registered nurse in ICU, uh, giving back to the community in, in, in a service way. And I can't say that might have happened in, in, in Illinois. Um, my oldest child, who has going to be a, a, a father today, he and his wife. She is became. She's a teacher. Became a, an assistant principal, and now just got promoted in December as a principal in the school. And my son is a business manager for uh, the same district, same school. I shouldn't say district, same school. And so, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I just I'm doing the things I I never been able to do since I was younger, or even in college, which is fishing. Um, we haven't hunted yet, but I'm golfing, I'm doing, you know, hiking, just the things that bring what is great to Arizona. And so given that opportunity to run, I finally, as a family, we decided to do it. And, and because I felt like I wanted to get back for what everything Arizona's done for me and my family. And now you're serving in the State House of Representatives. One might say you're in the middle of a pretty good time of life. What do you, now that you're, you know, you definitely have some goals that you'd like to accomplish in the house. What are some of your top priorities as we enter the third month of the, the legislative session? Well, you know, obviously to preserve Arizona for the traditions and the, the, the things that we hold dearly, the, what we cherish. Uh, I was humbled and honored one to serve our, our state. Um, I want to give my services back to the, our communities, our state. Make sure we get good good policy, good governance done. Um, it has shifted a lot in the last, you know, the short or last eight years I've been here, and it concerns me, and, and it concerns a lot of folks. People all over the country are moving here, and they're moving here for the same reasons I just shared with you. And we don't we moved away from, you know, systems that we don't think were great climates or environments to, to live in or, or grow up in. Um, that's my opinion on that. But 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 being here now is. I just want good policy and, and 
and being and, and I worked in politics in Illinois, so I think it's a great arena to learn that. Um, it's, it's a very diverse and complicated system of the political nature, and, and I don't think I have to go into. It. I think most people do understand that city when it comes to politics, but. Working in that environment, always kind of being in the minority, but also being able to work on the other side and, and kind of get that, so uh, get a, a W, you know, and it, 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 it's not a bad thing to do that, you know, and you can still hold your principles, right? Exactly, you know, say, yeah. You know, I can still be a conservative. A, a Democrat can still hold their principles. And, and those are platform things that we probably will never agree on to some degree. But there are policies that we have to do that are outside the platform that people don't really talk about. There's really no, I don't know if there's a need to talk about it. I mean, we can always talk about policy if you love it. But, and, and we've been doing that. I think we've been achieving that. The dynamic now, right, is we have a different part, you know, to divide the government. We have a different person in the ninth floor that we, that we were hoping, me as, as a Republican was hoping it would be different. But, but I had to change my, my, uh, the things that I wanted to work on. And, and some of those things are, how do we improve our workforce? We need a workforce here. We need a labor force. How do we great, create great jobs, which we're doing? Um, Arizona leads in so many levels. It's one of the things I love about the state. We lead in, you know, technologies, resources. We're leading manufacturing, distribution. Um, these are good jobs. Water is something that's really top of mind. And now you serve part of Yuma County, but you're also kind of um, closer to Maricopa. Does that give you kind of a bipolar view of the water situation since Central Arizona and Yuma County have like different needs or almost competing for water? Um, yeah, really good question. You know, so I live in Buckeye, so we, we serve, my district serves specifically all of Buckeye predominantly and then and then kind of half the Yuma territory area, right? Right. And when we, you know, yes, ag is critical. I will fight for agriculture. I love, that's another reason I should say that. I do love my community, like, because it's it's got that rural atmosphere with a little bit of urban, right, up here in Buckeye. Um, and, and, and I kind of lived in that, um, moving from Illinois, but... But no, we, we need a fight for our ag. You know, I, I just did a tour a couple months ago. Fantastic tour. I, I learned so much about our district and the ag. 90%, and I'm sure your listeners know this, but I, I, I'll just repeat it. 90% of our, our greens are coming out of Yuma and you're eating it across the country. Um, and when it comes to, so that's critical. It's important. We do it the best in the world. That was Representative Michael Carbone. We thank him so much for his time. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I sure do hope to see you back here next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.